Hey guys, Rafi here. After five years of podcasting, the most difficult thing to deal with are websites that charge you to give your opinion over the internet. Anchor isn't one of those websites. Anchor is a free-to-use podcast designing tool that allows you to distribute your podcast not only over Anchor, but over other podcasting websites all throughout the internet. It is free to use. You can make money off of it by designing your own ads for your podcasts, and it's just a great way to get into the industry. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today. Thanks. Hello and welcome to Raffi Rambles. I'm, of course, your host, Raffi. And yet again with me is my fiancé, Macy. That's me. Uh, Macy, let me ask you something. Do you remember um, Sex Criminals? I remember. You remember? I so, remember. <laughs> so Sex Criminals, uh, we've, we've done a couple of volumes. We've taken a, a hiatus on the, on the series. Why? Money. True. <laughs> Weddings uh, are not cheap. They're not friends. cheap. But uh, the, the reason I bring up sex criminals is because there's a certain topic I've been wanting to talk about for a while now, um, and the story behind the publisher that it, it should be a movie with how this publisher got started, to be completely fair with you. So the publisher of Sex Criminals is a little, a little third-party publisher called Image Comics. And Image has a very interesting history, and, and the... The main reason I want to talk about this is because the face of Image Comics, the biggest comic to come out of Image Comics, Spawn, has hit issue 300. And it's a pretty big deal. It's the most relevant Spawn's been in like 10, 15 years. Um, Spawn is also coming to Mortal Kombat. So like, Spawn's making a comeback, guys. I'm making a comeback. So it's, it's important. So I felt it was... About the right time to really go over Image Comics and what makes it so interesting and special. So, we're, to, to talk about Image, Macy, we have to start where we le- last left off. Sex. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. So, Spider-Man, right? In the 90s, Spider-Man got a new artist. Okay. And his name was Todd McFarlane. Todd McFarlane He's drew... No, he's not the guy with <laughs> sex criminals. Tom McFarlane drew Spider-Man like no one had ever drawn him before. He was like, Spider-Man was doing poses that no human could possibly do. Spider-Man was like, uh, there was like so many interactive panels of his movement. It was like the first time you could really like tell the kind of um, momentum that Spider-Man had while he was moving. And people didn't like that? No, people loved it. People loved it. Yeah. Um, Todd also coined what fans referred to as spaghetti webbing, where he drew the webbing that came out of Spider-Man like spaghetti. Me too. And I know it doesn't sound cool, but it looked awesome. If I had webbing, it would be spaghetti, because I eat a lot of spaghetti. (laughs) I guess it was just a way to illustrate how many threads of webbing were coming out at once. Mm. So, point is that Tom McFarlane shows up in like 1990-something, early 90s. He starts drawing Spider-Man, and it's, people are loving it. Spider-Man's selling more than he ever has before. He's selling more than everything else, right? And at the same time, and I think we talked about this last time we talked about Spider-Man, at the same time, there was a really popular X-Men book, which was also headed by um, an artist named Jim Lee. I'm learning about X-Men because I watched Deadpool. <laughs> and Jim Lee drew some fucking really good-looking X-Men. Did he, he draw Colossalum? Colossus? Yes, he, he drew Colossus a few times. So, you know, you had them doing that. You had uh, you had Rob Liefeld, who's another big artist, who actually created Deadpool. Deadpool's cool. And he drew for, like, some X-Men books. Um, who was the other one? Um, Rob Liefeld. Does Deadpool talk to the audience in his comic books? Not at or- first. Because at first he showed up as a villain in, a, in an X-Men book. Ooh, a villain. But then he was so cool, they gave him his own book. And the writers of that book were so convinced that that miniseries was going to get cancelled. They were just like, fuck it, let's have him joke around and talk to the audience. And it turned out people liked that. 
So it was a, a stroke of, of dumb luck and genius. Um, the other big artist at that time was Eric Larson, who was drawing the Hulk, I believe. So the reason I bring up these artists is because in the 90s, Marvel was like... We talked about Marvel going bankrupt, or almost going bankrupt in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And they were heading this direction by the 90s. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because there was a little thing that popped up called um, the speculators market. And essentially what this was was like comic books were becoming valuable for the first time. Okay. People were finding old comic books, old action comics, Batman books, whatever. Old comics from, say, like the 30s to the early 50s. People were finding them and selling them and making a lot of money doing it. Why can't we do that? Because comics aren't... Robbie, find some really expensive comics and let's sell them. See, <laughs> the problem, and this is what the, this, the collector's market weren't aware of back then. So... The point is that people are collecting comics, right? Mm -hmm. And people are collecting, like, rare comics. The reason comics became rare is because people who, who bought comics through, the, the, through the, the, the 30s into the 50s or whatever, those books were considered just, like, children's books. So mothers would throw them out when their kids get too old. Which means... I feel like people still do that because... Because <laughs> they're lying around. Because people don't know. Yeah, but the, the point is that so many of these books were being destroyed that whatever was left in terms of copies were worth some, something. Just go to the, um, the dump and find them. <laughs> go free. dig through for Probably some... Go dig through the dump uh -huh. and get us some comics and get us rich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll talk about more about the collector's market later because they don't really come into play yet. Um, so, again, you have these big, um, incredible artists working for Marvel, right? Mm. Now... The problem stemmed from money, because it always stems from that. Life. <laughs> so, Todd McFarlane had, and still has, this, like, this iconic confidence about him, where he believed, back then, um, that he held all, to, all the cards for Spider-Man. It was his belief that without him, Spider-Man wouldn't be selling. Spider-Man's too cool to not sell. And he, he went to Marvel, he, he went to his Marvel editors and he was like, hey, I want more money. All the problems start with more money. I want more money because this book is like not, is, this book is selling because of my art. I mean, he's not wrong. So at first they were like, uh, no, but hey, we'll, we'll do you one better. We'll make it so you'll get more money. Like, we're not going to give you a raise. But we are going to give you more profits to the comics that you're making. So, originally, Tom McFarlane was drawing the Amazing Spider-Man comic. But, Marvel Editorial, to kind of keep Todd around and keep him from, like, moving to DC or something, were like, hey, Todd, what if we gave you your own Spider-Man comic <gasps> that you could write and draw and you'd make, like, the, the more profit off of that than you would drawing for someone else's book? And he was like, yes. And so, for the first time, you just had Spider-Man. No, no amazing, no spectacular, it was just Spider-Man. That's cool. And it was his book, and he drew it, and and sure enough, it made money. Um, and then following that same path, Jim Lee, you know, I, I, think, I, I think McFarlane had convinced Jim Lee that he could basically do the same thing. So Jim Lee had been writing, had been drawing for... Jim Lee was Hulk? Uh, X-Men. X-Men. Jim Lee had been drawing for someone else's, like, astonishing X-Men book. Uh, or Uncanny X-Men was one of those. So, he was like, he, he goes to Marvel Editorial, like, <laughs> a week later, and he's like, hey, uh, you guys gave uh, Todd his own, his own Spider-Man book, I want my own X-Men book. So, like, God, okay, Jim, fine. So, Jim Lee gets his own, again, no adjective, X-Men. And... They just don't have to do it, just take away the adjective. And, and Jim Lee's X-Men sold more copies than any other Marvel book ever. More than Spaghetti Spider-Man? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, it, it became a big collect... And the reason it sold so well is because there was four different versions of issue one that all had different covers. And if you put all the covers together, they make one big super cover. That's cool. 
would so people were like you know collectors were like I gotta get that net number one because there, there's four of them and they'll be worth something and then your regular <laughs> reader was like I gotta go get that X Men book because Jim Lee looks really good and then even people that had no, no idea what X Men was were watching the news seeing how much it was selling like I gotta get those X Men funny books so I can make <laughs> money off of them in the future or something so everyone was buying Jim Lee's X Men which meant that it wasn't gonna be worth anything. They all have to get hold of him because it's going to be worth something. It's going to be worth something, and it's worthless because everyone has a goddamn copy of X-Men number one from Jim Lee. In fact, Jim Lee's X-Men was so popular and, and sold so well, uh, I think it was Fox Studios, before they had the movie rights, Fox Studios like tapped Marvel and they're like, hey, we want to make a cartoon based off, your Jim, based off Jim Lee's X-Men. So they did. And X-Men the Animated Series had like four seasons or something. And it was modeled off of that comic, even, like, the style. That's crazy. Yeah. So, again, Jim Lee's making good money, Todd McFarlane's making good money, but Todd was not satisfied making a little bit more money. Because the thing that, the, the thing that got in Todd's butt about being a comic book uh, artist was that working for Marvel meant that he wasn't making all the profits, and it also meant that he didn't have full control of the brand. Like... In his position, it was like, I could draw Spider-Man and, you know, keep making a lot of money off of that, but it'll never be my project. Like, when people talk about Spider-Man, they're not going to talk about, like, they might talk about me, but they'll talk about Stan, or they'll talk about Steve Ditko, or they'll talk about Jerry Conway. Point is that, like, this isn't mine, and I would rather make money off of my own creation than work for someone else by making their thing great, you know? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't I don't see a big problem. So, I mean, if I was writing, yeah. I'd want to write as my own character right. rather than someone... I don't want you to make up a character and then I have to write about it. Right, especially, character. like, if it was for fucking, I don't know... Um, especially if it's a character as big as Spider-Man. Right. That could piss a lot of people off. Exactly. If there's, like, a Moon Knight comic and you're writing it, you're not going to have a lot of problems with it because it's, it's one book or whatever, whatever. But with Spider-Man, he had four books at the time. Which means, if you're reading Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, okay, cool, Spider-Man just, like, is, is fighting the Green Goblin or whatever. But in another book, it's like, wait, why, why did he just defeat the Green Goblin? In this other book, he's starting to fight the Green Goblin. That's why I don't like When they have multiple, because yeah. they just need to have one at a time. Yeah, one story at a time. But yeah, that, that's what Todd's problem was. He didn't have full control of the brand. He couldn't do everything he wanted to. Because there was also this thing in the way called uh, the Comics Code of Authority. And this wasn't like an actual legal thing. Basically, in the, I think it was the 50s, a bunch of concerned parents got together and said that comics were too violent and scary for kids. So. Is that why you're as, as scary as you are? Because you grew up reading comics and they're scary? <laughs> No. Um, so the point is that all these concerned parents formed a group and they were like, you know, we, we are going to make this stamp. And if, like they told parents around the world, if a comic book doesn't have this stamp on it, then it isn't approved by the Comics Code of Authority and it isn't good for children. So it didn't necessarily like legally say that Marvel and DC had to publish books that were appropriate for children or, or had that label on it. It only meant that it needed that label to be appropriate for kids. Yeah, it only meant it would sell more if it had that label. If it didn't have the label, kid, some kids wouldn't be buying it because their parents wouldn't let them. So, you know, the Comics Code Authority got in the way of a lot of things that Todd McFarlane wanted to do. Because, you know, Spider-Man has always been the, I, the mascot of Marvel Comics. So the last thing Marvel Editorial wants is for Spider-Man to be, like, inappropriate for children. Of course, because he's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Exactly. He can't be punching hookers or whatever Todd wanted to do. Um, so Todd's like, all right, screw this. I'm going to... I'm out, skis. I'm out. And not only was he out, he's like, I'm out, and I'm taking like five artists with me. Well, so he went to Jim Lee, and he went to Eric Larson, he went to Rob Liefeld, he went to a bunch of other people, and he was like, guys... Wait. Yeah? Jim Lee, that was the one doing X-Men, right? Yeah. He, if that guy was making so much money doing X-Men, why did he go? Okay, so this is this is a story within itself. It's because Jim Lee is about as smart as Todd McFarlane, 
but Jim has more, like, integrity. So what Todd McFarlane wanted to do was be his own editor, do his own books, and make money that way. What Jim Lee wanted was a higher-paying job, and it didn't matter how he got there. But he was making so much money doing X-Men. I know, but Jim Lee's plan was... Because, again, Todd is going into the... Todd McFarlane's going into this being like, I'll invent my own character and run it forever, and I'll forever own this property or whatever. Jim Lee's thing is, okay, I made the X-Men popular. If I go off to this third-party publisher and I create new content from myself... It's gonna it's gonna be wanted by people just based off name value. Because I'm me. Because I'm me. So Jim Lee's going into it saying, wow, "I'm." Jim Lee's going into it being like, "I'll create independent stuff, and then when the time comes and Marvel and DC are knocking at the door, I'll sell that that stuff. I'll make money off that stuff, and then I'll get positions at like higher companies because of my stuff." So, Todd McFarlane's like journey is I'm going to take this thing I made and I'm going to go up. And Jim Lee's thing is I'm going to sell this thing I made and I'm going to go up. Okay. So, and he was the hardest to convince too. So Jim Lee really had to sit on it and think about where he wanted his career to go. So, Tom McFarlane and a bunch of these guys get together. And, and this is where it sounds like it should be a movie because like five employees walk out of this company and like they, the... <laughs> like any company this is marvel, marvel comics well yeah it's marvel comics before Whatever. they yeah but still if you told people this now they'd be like well, like without the context of marvel being bankrupt in the 90s people would be like that's insane that they would leave but like it, it's the story of like because again Todd McFarlane was convincing these other artists to join him off of like we don't have control of the things we make we're not making as much money as the writers or the editors and we don't have the freedom to do what we want and what we're drawing. Like, we could have all those things if we just left and made our own company. So, that, that's the part of it that's like, this should be a movie. <laughs> so, um, Tom McFarlane and I think eight other guys from Marvel, artists, left Marvel and formed their own publisher called Image Comics. And Image was founded on this idea that if you made a character, you profited off that character in every conceivable way. So it meant that no matter like where they showed up, you would make pro like profit off of that. Like it, the the reason I find the history of Image so interesting is because it sounds like something me and my and like a bunch of my friends would go do. We'd all sit around a table and go, okay, so I'll make this character, and if this character shows up, I'll make profit off of it because I made the character. But like. Justin, your character. If, if he shows up in my book, I'll share the profit with you because that's your character. I mean, that it's, it's sounds fair. fair. It's fair and it's, like, friendly. Like, these are all people that work together. And, like, it was as much professionalism as it was, like, common courtesy. It's kind of like when a song shows up in a movie or on a TV show, they have to pay the artist royalty. Right. That's what it sounds like. Okay, if your character is going to show up in my book, I'm going to pay you royalty. Right. That's what they have to do with music. That's what they have to like, you have to get copyright a lot of stuff. And you figure that's what they have to do you for... You would think that they, that's what they have to... You would think that's what Marvel does and all that. You That's what you would well, think that's, that's funny because that's what they do with movies. That's what they do with Marvel movies. Because, you know, if you're Robert Downey Jr. and you're signing on for another two Iron Man movies, you're also signing on for two Avengers movies, an appearance in Spider-Man, a cameo in Captain America, whatever. So, like, you know... It, you, they're asking you to be in these movies, but they're also telling you, don't worry, you'll still get paid for being in movies that aren't about you. Well, that that's different. Though, I know, you. I know. But the point is that these artists leave Marvel, they form Image Comics, and they form it off the basis of creator-owned properties. And, you know, th that's probably the most stable part of the company. It's the part of the company that has allowed books like Sex, Sex Criminals to exist. Mm. It's the reason... Cause, have you heard of The Walking Dead? Yes. It was based off a comic published by Image. Really? Yes. That's crazy. For Did you that? yeah, for a couple of years, Image owned the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and published their books. Yeah. What the heck? There's a lot of movie studios that publish with Image. Um, Where's my Sex Criminals movie? <laughs> oh my god, that'd be great. Have you? Uh, that would have to be like a really hard R rating. Seth Rogen would have to direct that. Have this you? Is, this movie is triple R. Have you heard of the movie Kick Ass? Mm, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it or know what it's about. But you okay? So you've heard of it. 
That's based off a comic published by Image. So, yeah. So, Image is one of those companies that, like, publishes all these numerous, like, properties. But the main selling point is that the people that are publishing those books have complete control of them, make all the money off of them, and aren't restricted by a, by a code of authority. Which is why sex criminals could come out under Image and not under Marvel. Um, a book with dicks and cum everywhere. Um, so, Image gets formed, and, you know, a bunch of the artists and writers, I guess the artists, you know, they form their own characters. And a lot of them are kind of like... You don't really need to talk about them that much. Like, um... The guy that was drawing Hulk before, Eric Larson, mm. he creates a character called the Savage Dragon, who is a, <laughs> a extremely large, green, muscly man who is often drawn angry and smashing something. Oh my gosh, he sounds like the Hulk. No, 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 see, because he has a fin on his head. Oh. Yeah, and I think he's an alien. So he's a fish alien Hulk fan. Yeah, and because it's Eric Larson, like, writing and drawing it, he can, like, fight Donald Trump and stuff. Which is what he's doing now, apparently. Because Savage Dragon started in the 90s and is still going. Because Eric Larson is, like, the guy behind it. And it's, like, his whole career is Savage Dragon now. That's all he has. Like, um... And Sorry, he probably would have made more money if he stayed... At Marvel? At Marvel. And just kept doing Hulk. Hulk stuff? Maybe. Maybe. Um, so he did that. Um... Rob Liefeld went on to do, like, uh, Young Blood, which is just, like, a rip-off X-Men team. Um, <laughs> Jim Lee did the Wildcats, which is just a rip-off X-Men team. Um, I think it might have been Jim Lee. It was either Jim... Yeah, I think it was Jim Lee. Jim Lee also did, um... He, he did Gen 13, which is just a rip-off X-Men team. Can I tell you a secret? What's that? I honestly didn't know you knew all this information about anything that wasn't Marvel or DC. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and, like, yeah, Jim Lee did a lot of these. Like, he he had his own line of comics called uh, Wildstorm. Mm. And it was part of Image. And it was named Wildstorm because the two books it started out with was Wildcats and Stormwatch. And Stormwatch was, like, rip-off Justice League. So it wasn't X-Men again, which is, you know, good. Uh, the, the two main characters of, um, of Stormwatch are Apollo and Midnighter. Mm -hmm. And Apollo is rip-off Superman, and Midnighter is rip-off Batman. But how can and they're gay with each other. So, like... So it's his joke about Batman and Superman being gay with each other. Okay, so why hasn't Marvel... <laughs> yes. ...sued them? For what? For ripping off their comics. If it's that... If it's that obvious that these characters are based off of... They could totally sue them. Well, like, let me, let because... Me okay, yes. As someone who decorated cakes for a while mm -hmm. at a store, copyright's a big thing. Yeah. Like, we can't... You can't give me a picture of the Hulk. I can't put that picture on a cake because that's against copyright. Yeah. But it goes as far as saying that it cannot re reproduce anything of likeness. So mm -hmm. I can't draw something... That looks so you can't similar put, so you to can't, Hulk. You can't put the Savage Dragon on a cake? No, like that would be, I like Marvel could sue me. If they ever saw that, if I did that, mm -hmm. and Marvel saw it, and they're like, oh my god, that's the Hulk, they could sue me. Well, okay, there's a couple of things that debunk that. For one thing, it's the time frame. Again, Marvel was in the shitter, Image was making more money than you could count. So, like, if that was a problem, Image could afford a better lawyer and argue a better case. Um... The other thing, too, is that Marvel wasn't super concerned about, like, copyright and character stuff like that back then. Mm -hmm. Because, again, they were just trying to make their books as, as well as they could. They weren't worried about if someone else was ripping off their ideas. Um, I do know that DC Comics is more anal about that than Marvel. Okay. Because Shazam, back when he was first created as Captain Marvel... Hold to, on! Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Batman and Superman, those are DC. Yes. So why didn't DC sue them then? <coughs> because DC wasn't making... Because when Image got in the spot, the, the, the chain of command went, Image was best-selling, Marvel was trying to get number one spot, and DC was in third. Really? For like, yeah, for Image real. Image was winning? Image was beating both companies. That's ridiculous, because they're not now. No, they're not. <laughs> 
I know. The 90s was crazy. Um, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> no, so uh, in what in like the uh, 40s when Shazam was first created, and I'm calling him Shazam. I know he used to be Captain Marvel, but Captain it's, Marvel before Captain Marvel. It's con it's convenience. When Shazam was created, you know, he looked a lot like Superman. He had similar powers to Superman. So DC sued cuz cuz Shazam came from another publisher. Okay, wait. Who did Shazam? Shazam came from Fawcett Comics. Okay. But nowadays... Yes. He's DC. DC, okay. And the reason that is, is because in the, like, in the 50s, maybe Shazam was more popular than Superman. No. And DC Comics was sitting there like, They're making more money! They're just... That's just Red Super... Sue them! So they sued Fawcett Comics. So Fawcett couldn't make Shazam books anymore. And then in the 60s, DC just bought Fawcett Comics and got Shazam. And they were like, hey, let's put Shazam in our comics. So then Even Shazam was... sued them. Yeah, yeah. Get rid of them. Exactly. Um, okay, so... Uh, oh, right, the, the suing thing, yeah. So, yeah, neither DC or Marvel had the grapes to sue Image. Because Image was just rising through the ranks, right? Um... I'm trying to think of another, like... Because obviously there's Spawn, but I feel like there's one more big one. Um, okay, I think, I think we're ready for Spawn. So Spawn... I know a lot about Spawn. I think it was through Spawn I learned so much about Image. Mm -hmm. The reason I know so much about Spawn is because Dad collected Spawn toys. That's cute. Yeah. Um, Dad was a... He was a big fan of Spawn. Shout out to Rappy's dad. And I... <laughs> I, I stress to say, he was a big fan of Spawn. He isn't now. He doesn't have a problem with it, but I told him I didn't like Spawn to his face, and he had no reaction. So clearly he doesn't care that much about the brand. Um, so, point is that, you know, that's how you kind of learn more about Spawn. Spawn was a character created by Todd McFarlane. It was, it was Todd's baby. It was his golden goose for making money. Because, Todd, because Spawn, image-wise, like, in terms of how he looks... You know how Spider-Man has a black suit sometimes? Mm -hmm. He looks like black suit Spider-Man, but he has, like, Doctor Strange's red cape, and he's got, like, a bunch of chains. And usually he's, like, carrying guns and stuff. So he's from the hood. He's from the hood. I mean, you can't... You know, he's, he's also an African-American, so I don't know if you want to throw that out there. Um, so, this the story behind Spawn, because it's so basic and easy to explain... Um, he used to be this guy named Al Simmons, and he was a soldier, um, and he had this wife, and uh, he he was on a mission, and he was killed by one of his own teammates. Okay. And so, like, he went to hell because, like, he was a soldier, but he was like a like a mercenary, like, you know, the president's like, hey, go kill this country or whatever, and he'd go kill the country or whatever. So, like, Al Simmons was a bad person, but only because those were his orders. So he, he, he gets killed by his own teammate. He goes to hell. There's the ruler... Okay, so in, in Spawn lore, each level of hell has a ruler. Okay. I'm not going to go through all of them, but the ruler of the hell that he went to, which is named Malbolge. Malbolge. Malbolge is like, hey, you're really good at killing folk. I have this thing where I take really good people who are good at killing... I take people that are good at killing folk, and I basically just give them, like, like, demonic venom suits. No, that's Spider-Man. No, 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 it's totally different. It's, it's like, venom, but it's from, like, hell. So, here's your hell spawn, and, like, you just... Here's your hell venom. He just throws the goop on him, and so... Al Simmons gets, like, this cool, like, costume that gives him powers. And he gets sent back to Earth five years later... And when he gets sent back to Earth, his body is a corpse because he's he shot up and, nope, and burnt, nope. of course. So his body is a living corpse wrapped in this, like, spawn costume. Uh-huh. And he comes back to... The first thing he does is, like, well, I gotta go find my wife. Like, fuck being a, a demon soldier. He goes to his wife's house. His best, his best friend married his wife and they had a kid. Well. So the, the lore of spawn is... You know, for he's gonna hunt down bad people and kill them for the devil, as like part of the deal he made with the devil. And every chance he gets, he will protect his wife and the new husband and the kid they had. I don't like him. Did you look up Spawn? Yeah. <laughs> Let me see. What would you look at? Yeah. 
like that. You see what I mean, though? He just looks like Venom Spider-Man like with Venom. a cape. Yeah. With, with some cool, like, spiky anklets. Yeah. So... Like, it didn't matter how basic the story of Spawn was or how cool or bad he looked. The point wasn't to make, like, good comics. So, here's the, here's the funny thing about Spawn. Todd McFarlane isn't a writer. He's an artist. So he came, out with the, he came up with the basic premise behind Spawn and drew every issue, but he would hire writers to come write Spawn books. So he would hire, like, Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman and, and, and uh, fucking all these other people. He would hire well-known writers to, to work on these books, um, on these Spawn comics, which led to a few problems down the line that we'll get to in a minute. Um, so, so Spawn is written by Tom McFarlane, and, like, he wants it as a vehicle to sell toys, because he only likes drawing, and he's like, I don't want to come up with stories, so I just want I just want to draw cool things to get paid for drawing cool things. So, what he does, so what he does is after a few issues of Spawn, he creates his own toy publisher, his own toy publishing company called Todd Todd Toys. Todd Toys. Which he renamed to McFarlane Toys because there was a toy that came out called Todd's Toy. So he didn't want people to, to get confused, but of course he changed the name, but he had to still include his name in the in the company yeah. name. So McFarlane Toys like would publish Spawn toys, and you would get to this bit where like in the Spawn comic he gets so close to finding the guy that killed him and like killing him back, but then something would interrupt him, and usually it was like a new villain or a new demon or a new character who showed up, and. You can bet your bottom dollar every time a new character showed up in a Spawn comic. When next time you went to the toy store, hey, there's a toy of that character that just showed up in a Spawn comic. And it didn't matter who they were. Like, there was a cyborg assassin named Overt Kill. And he got a toy. And like, what's his deal? He's a cyborg assassin that sent out to Spawn. But here's his toy. Buy his toy. I made his toy. In fact, Todd McFarlane and I think it might have been Rob Liefeld... In the 90s, they had a sit-down with Stan Lee that was televised. Okay. Right? Because Stan Lee, everyone knows Stan Lee at that point. I mean, even at that point, people knew Stan I, Lee. I know who Stan Lee is. But the point was that, like, Image was this rising star, and Stan Lee was, like, the fa- like one of the fathers of Marvel. So, the point is that the three of them had this sit-down, and Stan kind of watched the creative process. And Todd and Rob created a character that, that was overkill. Mm-hmm. And, like, they were drawing him, and they were coming up with the name, what he would do, and his powers and stuff. And Stan, like, you couldn't tell he was making fun of them the whole time, but he was. Like, there was, like, oh, give him these spikes and these chains. Like, oh, yeah, you can't have him without the spikes and the chains. And they are like, instead of overkill, we'll call him overt kill. He's like, yeah, yeah, go the extra mile. Like, just right in front of them, just busting their balls. Because Stan didn't agree with their method of comic book production, but yeah. couldn't... Huh? Why didn't he agree with it? Was he just pissed off to say left tomorrow? Because it, it wasn't character driven, I think. It might have been them leaving Marvel, but I think it was also like real recognizes real. Because Stan is a, was a smart businessman mm-hmm. and knew what he was doing the entire time he was doing it. He knew, like, I can't draw that well. So I'll get Jack Kirby to draw, or I'll get Steve Ditko to draw, but I'll come up with the character and the premise of what they look like, and I'll let, you know, some other writers carry on the story for me. So, much like Todd McFarlane, Stan was just, like, the... He wanted to be a story person. He wanted to get the person that got the ball rolling. He didn't care who would draw it or who would write it later. He was just like, he is Spider-Man, and he has everything about Spider-Man that makes him good. He go. I don't care. It's like a skeletal play. You don't know what that means, but like, in when I used to role play on Tumblr, yeah, we used if, if it was a skeleton role play, basically, whoever like admin that group would make characters, pick out a bunch of stuff about the characters like their background and all that, but then 
you, you, someone who has no idea, would come and like read all the descriptions about the characters, and then you'd apply to be a certain character that you wanted to carry the story out for. <laughs> but like, essentially, Stan recognized that Todd was a lot like Stan back in the day, but Stan still had more integrity. He was still like, no, what makes Spider-Man cool is that he's just he's a person like you or me. Or what makes the X-Men interesting is that they're is that they're they're persecuted because of how they were born and what they are. But like with Todd, he was like, yeah, there's a cat. Uh, with Todd, it was like the picture sells everything. The story could have been anything, but the picture sells everything. Okay. So Stan was more character driven. Todd is more image driven, which ironically is the image comics, whatever. Ha ha. Um, so, you know, they make up, they, they had a cyborg gorilla that was a character. And it's like, what's his backstory? Uh, go buy his toy. <laughs> That's the backstory. Go buy, his, go buy his toy. He would even make other versions of Spawn, like throughout history. So there was a Spawn who was a knight and a Spawn who's a pirate. Pirate Spawn. Pirate Spawn. Um, and he'd go the extra mile and he'd contact, like, Jim Lee or, or Rob, Rob Liefeld and he'd be like, Hey guys, if you want me to, like, make toys of your characters, we can totally do that. But just know that I'll be making more percent than you will. Because they're coming from my toy company. And again, because he had kind of fooled them into this, like, clubhouse, let's make a club kind of... <laughs> she looked up Pirate Spawn. Um... You know what's funny? I had never seen Pirate Spawn before, but I, I, I didn't even know if he existed, but part of me was like, he has to exist. <laughs> he looks pretty cool. Um, no, so, because Todd McFarlane formed the image as, like, this boys club in a clubhouse, um, the other artists at, at Image, like, they didn't suspect that he would just make profit off of their character sometimes. Mm. So, something that you know, it was kind of important to, to Todd McFarlane as, like, a businessman. So, again, he establishes this rule that if you are working for or commissioned by Image and you create a character, you make royalties off of everything involving that character, right? Which is fair. Yep. So, issue, I want to say four of Spawn, um, which I actually bought for an old podcast I did with Dad. Issue four of Spawn uh, Tom McFarlane hires Neil Gaiman to write this issue. Neil Gaiman creates and introduces a character called Angela, who is a, an angel, an assassin from heaven. She's in the book, right? She's in that issue. <laughs> Neil Gaiman leaves. He's like, all right, cool. I did my, I did my thing. Bye. Call me whenever, whatever. Bye. Todd still uses Angela in other books. And every time he uses Angela in a book... He's supposed to pay some of that royalty money to Neil Gaiman, and he didn't. Uh oh. He either forgot the rule or forgot it on purpose. So. Well, maybe he thought because Neil Gaiman wasn't part of, like. The image group. That. Not the beginning, but, like, he wasn't. He's not there working for them all the time. He right. He's kind of like a He just came. Guy. Yeah, he was hired on to write. Maybe he thought that it would be different in that, yeah. in that instance. Because it was really, it was only him he had this problem with. Okay. Um, like, I think So did Neil Gaiman, that's the name, right? Yeah. Did he bring it up? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, he would bring it up and talk about, like, ignore the calls or make some kind of excuse about it until eventually, I think it was, like, maybe 1999. From 99 to 2013... They had a legal battle over the rights to Angela. It was Angela and, like, two other characters. But the point was that all <laughs> all Gaiman wanted was royalty money. Which seems fair. Yeah, which seems fair. But the case went on for so long, Gaiman was like, uh, fuck that. I want royalty money, and I want the rights to Angela. So around that time, Todd stops using Angela. He creates a new Angel character that's similar to Angela... But, like, is blonde. Different. Like, Angel has red hair. This new character has blonde hair. But is, like, I just redrew Angela and then discolored the hair. <laughs> she, went, she went to the salon. Yeah. It's a totally new character. It's like, um, it's like in any video game where, like, it's Mario, but he's colored green and blue. That's Luigi. He's different. <laughs> so, um, 
so they have this legal battle for Angela, and in 2013, Neil Gaiman wins the case. He gets ownership of the, of Angela and like two other characters, um, <laughs> and and around that same time, Neil Gaiman was having another legal battle with like a totally separate thing with Tom McFarlane over the rights to a character whose rights were up in the air, like the creator of this character sold the character like. Basically, put the character's rights up for bids, right? Any writer or company that wanted him, he would sell it to them. And Todd and Neil Gaiman were fighting for this character that was, like, free to use, right? Uh-huh. And Todd, like, the character's name was Miracle Man. Miracle Man. It's me. I, I, all I'm picturing, I don't know what this character's about, <laughs> but, ugh, sorry, the cat's, like, getting out of my mouth. Um, I'm picturing this guy... <laughs> in like a blue, white, and red suit, holding a bottle of Miracle Whip. <laughs> You're close. <laughs> he wears a blue and red suit, and like you know how Shazam was kind of a ripoff of Superman. Though he looked like a Flash, yeah. Miracle Man is kind of a ripoff of Shazam. <laughs> so like Miracle Man's rights were up in the air, and Neil Gaiman wanted them, and Todd wanted them, and they're both jumping up for him, um, and. Neil Gaiman got the rights. Can Good for you... Neil Gaiman. Yeah. It might have been him. It might have been Alan Moore. I don't know. I think it was Neil Gaiman, though. So Neil Gaiman's like, I'm going to take my Miracle Man. I'm going to take my Angela. And my, I'm out of here. Bye. And, and when he got the rights for Miracle Man... Don't Todd... call me this time. Yeah. When he, got, <laughs> when he got the rights for Miracle Man, Todd was so salty, he created a character in the Spawn comics. You know, Called Miracle Whip. Who, of course, came with a toy. Because there had to be a toy. Every character had a toy. Um, every character that was a cool drawing had a toy. But in the Spawn comics, he created a, a character called the Man of Miracles. Who looked like Miracle Man in a trench coat. Ooh, a trench coat. <laughs> totally different. Now he's a detective. He's a detective Miracle Man. <laughs> so, um, so the legal battle over Angela, Neil Gaiman won that. And then, almost despite Todd McFarlane, he won the legal battle for Angela. Got the rights to Angela. He's like, hey Marvel, do you guys want Angela? So he sold Angela to Marvel Comics, and then at the end of this big event Marvel was already doing, they're like, oh, also Angela's part of the Marvel Universe, and she's like Thor's sister. <laughs> and I can only imagine Todd was real nettle, real salty. Um, but, you know, around the time that Neil Gaiman was starting to battle him for Angela, Todd was starting to realize, shit, I can't, like, work with people anymore, because they all, like, want my money. So, who was realizing that? Todd. Okay. So Todd McFarlane, right? When when Image started and he was first creating Spawn, uh-huh. he was like, "Yeah, we'll all work together and use each other's characters, and you know, we'll share, share the money. money. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be nice. We'll do the fair yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So Rob Liefeld, right? He he's doing Young Blood, and on the Young Blood team is a character, I think, called Preacher, or, or something like that. But he's this dude who has, like, a, a skull painted on his face. Okay. And Todd and, and Rob were like, hey, what if the guy that killed Spawn was your guy on Youngblood? And they'd be like, ooh, that's a cool idea. So the original story was that Spawn was killed by the man who would become a member of the Youngbloods. Okay. When the whole Angela thing was happening... Todd was like, and like, I, I think he could feel the phone ringing and Rob on the other end, because I don't know if he paid royalties to Rob either. Uh-oh. And it's like, it's not like a character that occasionally could show up. It's a character who, every time you do a flashback, it's like, this guy killed me. This guy who you could read about in Youngbloods, issue five. So, <laughs> so what Todd did was, he's like, he made an issue where Spawn was looking for the guy that killed him, got close, and then, like, found some, like, files, and he's like, oh my god, the guy who killed me was actually using young that Youngblood guy as, dis- like, as a disguise. And I was actually killed by this new character that Todd invented. So now, Spawn's origin is connected to a character that Todd owns. And he doesn't have to pay royalties to Rob over the character that they agreed would be responsible for Spawn's creation. That's fair. No, it's not. It's not fair. <laughs> no, it's backhanded and shitty and rude. Like, sure, I'll be move on Tuesday. Uh, actually, I'm moving, so I have to move my own stuff on Tuesday. Hmm? Yeah. 
Um, or like just taking credit for someone else's project. It, it, it's, it's like that. Um, so that's what happened there. Now, to kind of bring a bright side to most of this, because there is going to be an end, don't worry. Um, to bring a bright side to this, Jim Lee's minding his own business, right? He's writing Wildcats and Gen 13 and... Jim Lee. Jim Lee. X-Men guy. X-Men guy. Gosh. There's, there's a lot of names. I know. Said. He's doing whatever he's doing over here, whatever. And, like, Image did cross over with other books. Like, Marvel was like, hey, uh, Savage Dragon, can we can we get him for a crossover with Spider-Man? And they're like, yeah, sure. So they had a cro- crossover. Can we crossover whole thing look at each other? And be like, <laughs> you're, oh my god, you're me! You're me and I'm you. We're really like brothers. Whoa! Um, <laughs> and, like... Uh, what was the other, like, big one? Spawn crossed over with Batman, like, twice. Um. I don't know if you notice this, but I nod a lot as if they can hear me. <laughs> you do. And, like, uh, Wildcats crossed over with Justice League. So, like, you know, these companies were, were not afraid to have crossover comics. But Jim Lee's doing his own thing with Wildcats. And then, real under the radar, he's like, hey, DC, do you guys want, like, all of Wildstorm? You want Wildcats and Stormwatch and Gen 13? I can just give you all that stuff. But, like, not for... What's the catch, though? The catch, not for a check. No, he wants an editor position at DC Comics. So they give it to him. The Jim guy? Yeah. So Jim Lee leaves Image to be uh, an editor over at DC Comics and gives them, like, all of his Wildstorm products. Like, to DC. Ooh. Yeah. Shady. Yeah, he, he pulls a Judas and he's like, ha, ah. <laughs> sneaks away to stab Jesus or whatever. I don't know religion. Um, so, and, and now... That's shady, bro. Yeah, so Jim Lee goes off to be an editor for DC and he's like drawing Batman books and he's drawing Superman books. Um, he's drawing all these books and when you get to 2011, bit of a skip here, DC does their big New 52 relaunch where they renumber all their books. Mm-hmm. Jim Lee is like, hey... Let me redesign a bunch of characters. So they do. And he redesigns Superman's costume and Batman's costume. He draws the Justice League book. Um, and they, they did it again in like 2017 when they did the DC Rebirth line, which is another big relaunch. And they're like, and Jim Lee's like, hey, let me uh, redesign Batman. Let me redesign, uh, I don't know, Harley Quinn. So, like, Jim Lee not only becomes an editor, he not only gives all the stuff. He has open range to draw anything he wants, redesign any character he wants, and currently he's like one of the three big heads over at DC Comics. That's crazy. Yeah, because he used Image as a platform to spring himself up. I mean, good for him. Yeah, no, absolutely good for him. And I'm, I'm, I've heard he's like a really great guy. So, so Julie goes over there, and Image at that point is like. An image at that point to image now is like they exist. The popularity dropped off. People got over spawn, and like basically there was a huge spawn, like blow up. It was like a fad, mm-hmm. you know. Spawn blew out and then started to come back in because again you had spawn the comic, you had other spawn books, like Hell Spawn and and Tales of Spawn, Spawn more. I don't know. <laughs> but you had Spawn comics. You had the Spawn toys, which, you know, only sold as well as the comics could. Like, when people stopped reading the comics, they stopped buying the toys. Right. Because that was the other thing, is like... Well, they want the toys, they're not reading. Yeah. Is, is that, yeah, that's the thing. Like, Todd was specifically... Like, he made toys that looked cool to him. But the problem is that the toys he was making that looked cool to him wouldn't look cool to, like, a child. They probably look scary. They look scary to a child. And, like, grown-ass adults aren't going to buy them unless they're reading the comics. So that's why, that's mainly why he would ruin his own book by inventing new characters. So that the people that got caught up in the Spawn uh, mania, who are reading the books, would see these new characters, and then go to a store and see toys of them and be like, hey, I know who this is. So, like, his whole toy market depended on you reading Spawn. Right, and that makes sense if there's toys based off of... Right, but the problem is that the Spawn comic, you know, it started to kind of dwindle off. Clearly, Todd had gotten bored with writing a linear story, because around, like, Spawn issue 100, uh-huh. like, Spawn goes through this whole mess where, like, heaven and hell have, have this war on Earth or whatever, and by the end of it, Spawn is, like, still Spawn. He doesn't get his old life back, 
And, like, <laughs> at issue 100, Spawn goes from being a linear story about this man trying to get his life back to, like, uh, an, an anthology. Or, like, a one-and-done kind of series where, in this issue, um, a mugger kills a man. And Spawn follows him through the issue and then punishes him at the end. And then the next issue is, like, these three kids murdered a woman. And now all three of them have Spawn coming after them. So, like, it stopped being about what's Spawn going through now, and it started being, like, horror movies. Like, old-ass horror movies. People do something horrible, and they're punished by Spawn. Spawn is a boogeyman. He is no longer a character. Oh, he, like he no longer has a story behind him. You can no longer see him as a superhero. He is a punishment for bad people. So now, Todd can tell any one-and-done story he wants without worrying about, like, the long haul or, you know, the bigger picture. He can just be like, oh, this week? I don't know, let me watch, like, two episodes of SVU. Okay, I know what I'll do. And just put Spawn in there. Like, that's what he wants to do. He wants Spawn to be... Again, because he's trying to get away from storytelling. He's like, I just want to, like, draw cool shit. So I'll draw... So I'll write two paragraphs of story and then draw it out. Well, he has plenty of money now. Sure. I mean, so, he might as well just go back to what he used to do and just draw pictures. Like, hire people to write the stories and draw the pictures for them. See, again, Spawn's a dead product now. No one wants to do that. So, the the thing I was getting to was, you had the Spawn comics, you had the Spawn toys. There was a Spawn animated series on HBO. Which was also very popular until it ended. Then there was supposed I to mean, be... I mean, a lot of things are popular until they end. Uh, and then there was supposed to be another cartoon, but it never... It, it never happened. I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. Then, there was a Spawn live-action movie in the late 90s. No, thank you. And it was horrible because the person directed it, directing it, it was their first movie. Well. And that person went on to direct, like, directed DVD Garfield movies. So clearly they weren't, like, a good director then. They didn't become one later. Um... But the Spawn movie bombed like crazy. It wasn't good. It was just a horrible film. So... What even is that? Oh, that's the Violator. He's a fat clown. But he's also a demon. It's a Spawn live action and that's what it got. <laughs> yeah. Spawn live action? That guy? Yeah, that's Spawn live action. Oh. So, the point is that because of the movie, the Spawn franchise was shot. People didn't want to read the comic anymore. People didn't want to buy the toys anymore. It was horrible. And not... What? I just, no, it was like... I didn't realize... I, I saw a picture like after looking at Spawn Live Action. Mm -hmm. And it was it's like a fan cast idea. Yeah. And I didn't realize it was a fan cast. Because they have Danny DeVito as... As the violator? Yeah. yeah, no, it wasn't him. I was like, oh! <laughs> no, I think DeVito had too much integrity. Um, so point is that because of that awful movie the spawn brand was shot in the foot no one was reading comics nobody wanted to buy the toys and t and like for as much as like so the people that were fans of, yeah so at this point when this movie came out how long would you say that image comics have been around for if it helps should i tell you what i think it said 1990 i have i have the wiki open um Image was founded in 1992. Okay, yeah, and I think this movie came out in 1997. Yeah, so five years. So only five years and they got a movie. Which is crazy to think about because Spider-Man didn't get a movie until like 2000. And he was created in the 60s. That is crazy. So, again, this movie shot the franchise in the foot. And like, Todd had a similar reaction to how the fans had a reaction. Because the fans were just like, Oh, this kind of sucks. I don't. I'm not really into Spawn. I think I'm over Spawn because of this movie. Because like the thing about Spawn, and I'll I'll wrap up with this later in more detail. He's a character everyone gets over. He's just edgy for the sake of edge. And people at some point in your life you realize, oh, oh, this is just edge. This is just, like there's no substance to this. You know. Um. So like it's like at some point it's like. Oh, I'm not eating because I'm hungry. I'm eating because I'm bored. And you get oh up God, and but life. yeah, like that's what Spawn was. So people were people saw the movie and they're like, oh, right. oh, that's right, Spawn's dumb, and they all walked away. But Todd had this opposite reaction because you're thinking, if there's a movie made about your character that bombs, 
your first reaction probably, like, you know, you're, you're upset, obviously, but you're like, okay, but we can still do better, we can still improve, we can still go from here. No, he, he went to total lockdown mode. Because between this and all the lawsuits, he was like, only I can create Spawn. So, like, after the HBO series, he was, like, because in the HBO series, every episode of the Spawn cartoon would start with Tom McFarlane, like, drawing on a piece of paper and being like, here's the interesting thing about Spawn, and then it would show you the episode. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how much of an ego this guy had. So, after that cartoon ended, there was supposed to be another cartoon after, but the reason it never got started was because they wouldn't give Todd, like, as much control as he wanted. And they would, like... They wouldn't let him do everything he wanted to do. They would try to change, like, his product, which he didn't want. And... Oh, he's Canadian. Yeah. And... See. <laughs> and the reason... The reason, you know, he didn't cross Spawn over with other comics a lot... He kind of does look like a guy who'd have a big ego. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the thing about him, too, is, like... And I, I didn't mention this because it's not super relevant... He wanted to be a baseball player. That's really weird. I'm looking at I'm looking at the spaghetti spider man. Okay. Now. He wanted to be a baseball player, couldn't make it as one, so he started buying and collecting baseball cards. Okay. So a lot of the money he made off spawn just went into collecting baseball cards. Okay. Which is like random and weird, but it's like he's really proud of his collection. I don't know. Um it's just because other writers were buying like sports cars and trips to Malibu and he was just like, No man. I want my baseball, I want my baseball cards. cards. So, the uh, what was I getting to? So, like again, he went into total lockdown mode, and so since when did that movie come out? Ninety seven. Yeah. Since ninety seven to now, so that's like, uh, um, like. He worked there at DC too at one point. Yes. Because he said he worked on a Batman book. Yes, he did, because he drew a little bit of Batman. It might have been for the crossover, but I think he also oh, okay. did some independent Batman. Um, no, so, like, for, like, 28 years, roughly, since it's been since 97? How many years has it been since 97? 22. Okay, for 22 years. Are you sure? Yeah, because 07 would be 10. Yeah. 17 would be 20, and we're 19. Since, since 1997. 1997 to now is 22 years. Okay. Because I was born in 1995, right. and I'm right. only 24. Yeah, so for 22 years, he's had a script ready for a Spawn movie. And he's been going to all these studios. And, like, he keeps talking about how there's going to be a Spawn reboot movie. He's going to bring Spawn movies back. It never happens, and it never will happen, because he won't budge on control. He'll go to a studio and be like, here's my script, I want to direct it. And they'll be like, well, you've never no, you've never directed a movie. And like his basis is like, only I can direct it because the director I got fucked it up. And they're like, yeah, but that's because it was his first movie. Like, well, let's give you someone who's... Like, there's not two options here. It's not either you or someone that doesn't know what they're doing. There's a hundred directors that make good movies that you could hire to make your Spawn movie. But he's like, no, it has to be me. I want to write it. I want to direct it. I have to be in charge of all of it so it doesn't get fucked up again. Which, again, from like a paranoid state uh, standpoint, I get it. If that's your only cash cow, the last thing you want to do is tank it even harder. So I wouldn't go with that. I would never do what he's doing. But, like, I understand where this fear is coming from. Because Spawn already, like, fell flat after a while. But clearly, Image Comics is still doing shit. Oh, yeah, Image is still going just fine, because it's all creator-owned products. And the people that are creating their products, like, there are a lot of superhero stories at Image, but for the most part, it's not all... So it's it's Walking Dead, it's Sex, sex Criminals. Sex Criminals. Yeah, it's books that aren't going to get action figures, or, like, they might get a TV deal, because The Walking Dead did. Tom McFarlane doesn't want to make... Make toys with <laughs> with glowing penises? No, I think those would be sold at very different stores. Than... Oh, well, I mean, he has an ego. He can open his own adult store to sell <laughs> his toys. But, like, Todd knows that Spawn... Because every time, uh, like, when Deadpool 1 came out, uh -huh. it's this big R-rated superhero movie, and it's a big success... He pokes his head out of the woodwork and like, I have an R-rated Spawn movie, if anyone would, would want to help me make it. 
When, when, when Logan came out, R-rated, serious, like, heartstring-pulling superhero movie. I have an R-rated Spawn movie, if anyone would, would like that. When, when that new Joker movie got announced, that it got an R-rated. I have a Spawn movie! <laughs> Please! I can't eat! Someone needs to just let him do it so he'll shut up. God, just shut up, Tommy Farley. Nobody cares about Spawn. If, if I let you make this movie, will you shut up and, like, go away? Remember Spawn? You remember? You remember? So, yeah, it, he's this man who, like, all he can, like, he... Cat he, thinks we're crazy. She's giving me a look. He knows that a spark of nostalgia will bring Spawn back, and, and he'll be back on top again. But it's not going to happen, because the one thing that's keeping Spawn from coming back is it's him. Like, yeah, and, and I guess to kind of top this off to the, the whole Spawn story, the reason Spawn is, like, a character you don't stick with, and the reason I could never get into Spawn, mm -hmm. is because, like, even if I, sep if, even if I, if I separate myself from the kind of person Todd McFarlane is, even if I ignore how he just wants to sell toys, if I, if I just focus on Spawn... There's, there, it's just, it's exhausting, you know? It's it's middle school level. I'm sure if I was 14, I'd love Spawn. But, like, it, the image isn't enough for me. It never was. A character could have, you know, infinite amount of powers or a really cool costume. It's not enough for me. Like, I like Spider-Man because he is a person. I like Batman because, like, he has, like, personal gripes that he has to get over. You know, there are plenty of characters that look really cool, but they're barely characters, and I can't get into them. That's fair. You know, and that's how I feel Spawn is. And I feel like, you know, even if there are people out there who are like, no, I love the image, and I love the powers, I don't care about the story or whatever, even people like that, in the back of their head, probably have the same opinion about Spawn. Like, he was cool, and then I grew up. This says... Yeah. That he left inking duties on Spawn with issue number 70 in 1998. He hasn't done anything with it since 1998. No, he he co-writes it. Or he, like, he went, okay. <laughs> so, he got a, like, partner writer to help him. Or the, a partner artist named Greg Capullo. So, he didn't, he drew sketches, I think, and, and Greg would kind of help out with the sketches. So... Uh it basically became, Todd had an idea, and when he couldn't draw it, he'd give it to Greg Capullo. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing about that is that, like, Greg, like, when you think, when people talk about Spawn, the, the two artists that come up are Todd McFarlane and Greg Capullo, because Greg drew so much of Spawn after Todd did. Uh -huh. In, like, 2011, DC hired Greg Capullo to draw Batman. And Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder's Batman, through 2011 to, like, 2016, was, like, the best run of Batman in a very long time. So, again, much like Jim Lee, Greg Capullo used Image and used Spawn to launch himself into a better position. I don't like Greg Capullo's mustache. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know what? He draw When he draws a mustache, it looks really good. Okay, I have another question. Okay. I also see on here that on top of having McFarlane toys, he also has Todd McFarlane Entertainment, a film and animation studio. So why the heck doesn't he just do his movie himself if he has a film studio? I think because no one wants to give him the budget. <laughs> like, he has the studio for it. Like, it, it's like, he has the studio to produce something. But no one wants what he... Like, Like he doesn't have the money in the studio to do it. Like anything actually come out of that studio or does he just have it? I don't know. I think it solely exists so that when he can, he, he'll have... Because, like, again, he wants control of stuff, right? So, of course, he'd make his own studio so you have complete control over what he makes. Yeah. It, yeah, this just says, like... They, Tom McFarland Productions published... Multiple Spawn spin-offs and miniseries. Yeah, so it, it, it could have been even its own publisher. Like, so weird. off of Image. But yeah, I, I wanted to talk about Spawn because issue 300 is coming out and it's going to 
Oh, watch that's why. What? Because Todd McFarlane Entertainment mm-hmm. produced the Spawn film. That's <laughs> why. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. But, yeah, I wanted to talk about Spawn because it's a 300 issue. They're rebooting Spawn. They're not rebooting completely, but they're launching Spawn in a new direction. They're starting to do, like, Spider-Verse stuff with Spawn. Weird. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going to turn into. Like, for me, the most entertaining part of Spawn has always been the history behind the character with, like, the company, with Todd himself. Like, after telling you all this, you, I think you can understand why I want, like, someone to make a movie about just image. About that guy. Yeah, because, like... It's so interesting, and it's such, like... I know he's Canadian, but it's such an American story. Of, like... I work... It's, it's like the Frito-Lay thing. Or not the Frito-Lay thing. It's like the... What's this? Like, the, the janitor that made, like, a spicy hot version of a food, and now they're getting a movie. Oh, the Hot Cheetos guy. Yeah, it's like the Hot Cheetos guy. Like, there's a dude who works for this company. He's not making as much as he would like, and he's not given, like, the respect that he thinks he deserves... So he takes his talent, he goes somewhere, I know it's not exactly like that, but he goes somewhere else, makes his own new thing, and it's big, and it's popular, and makes a lot of money, and he's on top of the world. You know, he's looking over the people that wouldn't pay him enough. And then, all it takes is for one shooting star to fall straight down, for everything he worked for to crumble. Yeah, pretty much. And, and now, and now, the most he can do is get an interview with a shitty comic book website about what he wants to do with Spawn. Interesting. But yeah, that's the story of Spawn, and that's the story of Image Comics. Um, thanks for thanks for sitting down with me, Macy, and talking about it. No problem. I sit down with you every night anyways. <laughs> but uh, I hope you guys found this entertaining. Uh, if there's any other comic book publishers that you guys want me to talk about, I might know something about Valiant Comics or Dark Horse, so... You know, let me know on Facebook what you guys think. We uh, the panel buyer is on panelbuyer.blogs.com, panelbuyer.anchor.fm. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, Google Podcasts and stuff. We're on YouTube, and uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I'll catch you guys next time. Goodbye.